Hello, welcome back to another edition of your Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to talk to you guys about everything in the world of professional wrestling from Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. However, just like the previous weeks, there is no Impact Wrestling for me to give you guys a review, because Impact Wrestling this week came from uh, Monterey, Mexico. They did not... Really further, any storylines that's happening in Impact Wrestling, this was basically Impact showing off their uh, developing partnership or collaboration with AAA. So you got to see Impact wrestlers team up with AAA wrestlers to have just matches. So that's what happened on Impact Wrestling this week. So again, there will be no Impact Wrestling uh, review for you. But I will say, go check out Impact Wrestling. Go check out the show. uh, Some of the matches should be up on there. Uh, Impact Wrestling YouTube channel right now, but that's just my, I think it is, but again, try to find Impact Wrestling any way that you can, but again, as I said before, there will be no Impact Wrestling uh, review for you on this episode here. Also, before this episode does end, I will be giving you guys my NXT deadline predictions since deadline is happening tonight if you're listening to this on a Saturday. However, if you're not, you're listening to this on another day besides Saturday, the event has already happened and my review of it should be up already. Now, with that being said, let's start the show. So let's start with Monday Night Raw. Raw will open up with Drew McIntyre coming to the ring. Drew's in his wrestling gear, but Drew has to talk first a little bit. At first, Drew would throw a lot of subliminal shots at CM Punk calling someone a hypocrite, saying they could be released from the company, go out, do whatever they want to do, say whatever they want to say, they come back and be forgiven like all is easy. And it's nothing but subliminals because we know who Drew's talking about when he says this. So when Drew says this, he goes then into talking about Jay Uso getting a War Heavyweight Championship matchup later in the night in the main event. Drew is still salty about that. Then Drew will go and talk about Sami Zayn. This will lead to Sami Zayn coming to the ring. Now you get Drew and Sami talking a little bit. Drew would tell Sammy that Sammy deserved what he got from the bloodline. He deserved to get screwed over by the bloodline because Sammy was a part of the bloodline and he was the one that screwed them over first. Unlike Drew, who basically got screwed over from the bloodline, basically for nothing. Sammy would take that in and Sammy would tell Drew that just like him, he lost right in front of his family. But with doing that, it made him become better and he ended up charging all that anger and frustration and making him win at WrestleMania this year. While Drew, he hasn't. He's taken the anger just become a crybaby. And he asks Drew, do you think that's making your family proud by you acting this way? Now, with Sammy saying this, Drew would get upset. He'll call for a referee to come down to the ring. So Drew and Sammy could have their match, and they would have their match because that would be the first match of the night. Drew McIntyre would win by pinfall when he would chop block Sammy behind Sammy's already tweaked knee that he tweaked in the match and hit him with a claymore after the fact. So Drew gets the win here. Drew is still on his Bret Hart 1997 business where Bret was telling everybody about themselves but still doing it in a whiny fashion. And that's the way that Drew's doing it right now. Drew has all the reasons to be upset. Nobody's saying that's not the case. However, just the way that he's going about it, it just seems real, real whiny. So Drew gets the win here, and then 
We'll go to commercial. Then we come back from commercial. We go backstage. You will see Sammy start hobbling around because, again, he's trying to get his knee right. Drew McIntyre will attack Sammy from behind, start putting work on Sammy to the point that he will just stomp on Sammy's knee. Then you see uh, backstage officials come around and separate Drew from Sammy. This will efficiently just, like, eliminate Sammy out of the way. So Sammy's done for the night. Now, next up, you have Nia Jax going against Shayna Baszler. Nia Jax would win this match by pinfall by executing a Nihilator, formerly known as the Bonsai Drop, on Shayna Baszler for the win. Shayna and Nia, they got some time. I was shocked by that. I thought this would be like, okay, five, six minute matchup. But no, they actually had time to craft a matchup, especially with the history of Nia and Shayna before Nia got released. What? Last year, or the year before that, those two actually had some business with each other, and now they actually brought that back here for those two to have a matchup. So Nia will get the win, and again, I was surprised they actually got time for this, but they did, and they actually did do well. Um, After the match, you would see Becky Lynch music hit, and Becky Lynch would make her way to the ring. Nia will leave the ring as Becky entered it, and the reason why we're having this is that Becky has never gotten her receipt from Nia Jax punching her in the face in, what, 2018? So that's five years ago. And the funny thing about that is this. If Nia Jax didn't punch Becky in the face, you wouldn't get that iconic Becky Lynch, bloody nose, broken nose, like, picture that people use, like, as a milestone for whenever, say, Becky got over. Because when Nia Jax punched Becky in the face and you saw her nose bleed, you saw that imagery... People, like, really got behind the Becky Lynch character. They already were doing it at the time, but that really, like, sent it over the top to show how tough and how gritty she was. So when you get this, and it's only been five years, not only, but it's been five years, and those two haven't had a match since that situation, that's shocking. So we might be getting that. That's the way that I think we're doing it. And if we are, I'm cool with it, because you know what? Let's see what they can do. Let's see if... Becky can give the rub to Nia the same way that Nia gave the rub to Becky, but by accident in 2018. Now, next up, we'll go to another matchup. It's two out of three falls tag team match. DIY going against Imperium, Giovanni Vinci, and Ludwig Kaiser. Imperium will get the first fall by pinfall when Kaiser would roll up Johnny Gargano and hold on to the tights when DIY looked to hit meat in the middle on Kaiser, but Giovanni will pull Champa out of the ring that allowed Kaiser to roll up Johnny for the win. Well, at least for that first fall. DIY will get the second fall by pinfall when Imperium will look to hit their tag finisher on Johnny Gargano, which is a powerbomb European uppercut, but Johnny will counter out of it and roll up Kaiser. And then next thing you know, the third fall, it will be DIY getting the third and final fall, hitting meat in the middle on Kaiser to win the two out of three falls magic here. I would say the first and second fall, it was I, but the third fall, it started going into tag team wrestling. It actually got people up on their feet. DIY started turning it up. Imperium started turning it up. And I feel if they would have just did that throughout the whole match, I think people would have really got into it, but I get it. It's a two out of three falls match. Everything has to start out slow first, and then you start building it up for the third act for everybody to really be invested into the match. So that's what they were able to do here. DIY got the win, so it seems that they might be the next next people in line for the tag team titles after the Creed Brothers go against uh, the Judgment Day. That's the way that it seemed 
by this. And also, after the match, you would see Giovanni Vinci talk to Ludwig Kaiser outside the ring and tell him, you got to explain this Gunther. Because Giovanni Vinci and Ludwig Kaiser, they've been competing for Gunther's love and affection in a stable mate type of way. And with Kaiser getting the, well, eating the last fall that basically ended the match, he's going to have to explain that to Gunther. And we would see that kind of later in the night, but backstage, we don't get to see the interaction, quote unquote. We don't get to see them talking, but we see them talking backstage with each other, like being in the background when Seth Rollins was being uh, talked to by Adam Pierce. When Pierce would tell Seth that, hey, yo, I'm just giving you a heads up that I'm going to have CM Punk on Raw next week, and I'm going to try to sign him to a deal. So that's what's setting up for next week, but we got to see uh, Kaiser and Gunther in the background. And again, that'll probably be followed up next week as well. Now, following up with that, we have the next tag matchup. is Caden Carter and Katana Chance going against Tegan Knox and Natalya. Caden Carter and Katana Chance would win this match by pinfall by hitting an assisted body splash, which they call the cake stand, on Natalya for the win. Solid. Caden uh, Carter and Katana Chance, they were a spotlight team for NXT's 2.0 when they were down there and also in the NXT brand when they were rebranding it back as the black and gold when they were down there. They were the tag team for the women's division. I mean, you had Toxic Attraction back then. You had who else? Uh, there was another team. I can't remember it. But, like, it was only Toxic Attraction and Kaden Carter and Katana Chance that were only, like, the legitimate tag team women, like, down there. And it took them forever to get the tag team titles. It took them forever to get it. And then when they got them, they actually held it for a decent amount of time before they actually got drafted up. But I think they lost the title to, nope. They lost it to, uh, God, Fallon and Keanu James earlier this year. Yep. So, again, to see them be on NXT, be the tag team champions for the women, and get a spotlight after all that time to now be on the main roster, and hopefully they're starting to get that spotlight now, I'm glad to see that because, again, they're a phenomenal uh, women tag team. That's something that's been missing for some time for the main roster. So hopefully with them getting this win, they'll actually be pushed more. That's what I'm hoping for, to be honest with you. Um, next up, we have Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes will come down to the ring. Cody will talk about the first time that he saw the Poison Mist. And the reason why he's bringing this up is because Nakamura attacked Cody last week with the Poison Mist. Uh, Cody would reminisce about when he was a kid and he saw the great Muda use that. And that was his first time seeing it and that he was terrified as a kid seeing that. And when Nakamura did that to him last week, spraying him with the mist, it brought the terror right back to him. So you see Cody talk about Nakamura, or call Nakamura out to the ring, but Nakamura doesn't come out. Instead, we would get the exact same tricks that we got last week. We would get the lights go out, spotlight in the middle of the ring on Cody, Nakamura being on the Titantron, but we would get a reason why Nakamura is going after Cody Rhodes. Nakamura, in his mind, says that him and Cody have both traveled down the exact same path. And on this video, you would see what Nakamura was talking about. He talks about how both him and Cody won their respective Royal Rumbles. Nakamura in, I believe, 20... God, 27? Nope. 2018. Yep, it was 2018. And Cody Rose just this year. And how both of the guys 
went to their respective manias and they lost the big ones. Nakamura losing to AJ Styles, Cody losing to Roman Reigns, and how both of them have been trying to climb back up the mountain, and how Nakamura himself has a story that needs to be finished. So that's the reason why Nakamura is going after Cody. He wants to finish his quote-unquote story, and if he takes out Cody, that leads him down the path to hopefully be more than likely taken more serious, one and two, hopefully finish the story. So that's the reason why Nakamura is going after Cody. Cody would see this after the video plays. He calls Nakamura out. He says that, hey, I don't respect you. I only will respect you whenever me and you get in this ring. So we get that match set up for next week. Cody Rose going against Shinsuke Nakamura. I think that's going to be something, but do I think it's going to be ended a feud next week? No, I think they're going to end it in some shenanigans between Nakamura and Cody, to be completely honest. Now, next up, tag team matchup. J.D. McDonough and Dominic Mysterio of Judgment Day going against the Creed Brothers. The Creed Brothers would win the match by pinfall when they would execute the Brutus Ball on J.D. McDonough for the win. Creed Brothers, again, they're a great tag team. They made their way up from the NXT developmental system up to the main roster. And I'm glad they're getting this time to shine on the main roster. And I'm just waiting for them just to go against JD and uh, Priest. Not JD, God, Finn and Priest. Sorry. That's the only thing I'm waiting for. They did not give us a date on Monday Night Raw, so we got to wait and see uh, when they're actually going to do it. Now, we go over to our main event. The main thing that's been on the show, that's been the highlight of it, uh, the World Heavyweight Championship match. It's the champion Seth Rollins defending the World Heavyweight Championship against Jey Uso. And Seth Rollins would retain his World Heavyweight Championship by pinfall when Jay would go too much to the wells and go to deliver another spear onto Seth after he's done it a plethora amount of times. Seth would get cognizant of this and hit Jay with a pedigree and then hit him with a curb stomp to win the match. Now, Jay and Seth, they had a good match here. Um, this was Jay's first time getting a shot at the World Heavyweight Championship. Altogether, this is like his second time getting a shot at a world title. The first time was against uh, Roman Reigns this year at SummerSlam, and this time now against Seth. So that's two-thirds of the Shields that he went against for world championships. So that's impressive right there. And uh, this is 14 years, 14 years since Umaga passed away, and 14 years since I believe Jay got signed to WWE. They mentioned that on commentary, how much this was special for Jay to have this match right here against Seth. And Jay put it all out there on the line. He hit like a couple spears on Seth. He hits the Umaga hip thrust. He hits the body splash. I mean, he was hitting all the Samoan traditional moves here. And again, this just shows how much that Jay was pulling out of the bag to try to beat Seth here, but in the end, Seth was just, again, just able to, I'll say, crawl out of win, because hitting a pedigree out of a spear and then a curb stomp, that shouldn't have put Jay away, but I get it. Jay is still known as technically a tag team wrestler guy. This is just a breakout moment for him to be a singles guy for these past, what, months? So he's not at the level of quote-unquote singles competitor main eventer like that, so I understand why he lost to a simple thing like that, but give Jay more time, I guarantee you they would have had him kick out of that if he was more seasoned as a singles competitor, but other than that, Jay had a great match with Seth Rollins to end Monday Night Raw. Now, after that, 
uh, Drew McIntyre, he would Claymore kick Jay when Jay's outside of the ring next to the commentary table. Seth would see Drew do this. Seth would try to hit Drew with a suicide dive, but Drew would catch him. Hit him with a belly-to-belly suplex outside the ring. Drew would then look at the commentary table, clear it off, and then smash Jay through it with a Falcon Zero, and that's how Raw would end. Drew, as I said before, is whiny. He has not forgiven what Jay has done. And again, it's understandable why he hasn't forgiven him, but he's just now moving more whiny. Drew is more within his rights to attack Jay for as long as he wants. But the more you constantly just make of it, it's just more that Drew's just going to constantly be looked at as a whiny like person. So again, we're just in that phase right now with Drew and Jay and Hopefully somewhere down the line we get to the end of this. I mean, it's cool for right now, and I get how they're doing it, but I'm like, all right, let's add more into it. Now, this thing that they added more into this, I forgot to mention this, is that Drew is seen to be looked at as being protected by the Judgment Day, at least by Rhea, because during this night on Monday Night Raw, there was a segment backstage where Priest was getting upset how Drew is acting all like he can't be touched by the judgment day and he says man i would if i could just get my hands on him and don would tell priest that ayo uh Rhea told us not to touch drew nobody could touch him and priest he's not liking it so i like that we're adding that little thing into it hopefully we go more into that and then we can get like to the dysfunction of judgment day with priest probably being kicked out and drew probably taking the spot of priest maybe but if we don't get to that, we just constantly get at Drew going after Jane with the bickering and complaining. It's going to run old really quick. So I can't wait to see how they're going to do this. But we'll wait and see. Now, with that being said, that was your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move straight to NXT. NXT would open up with the last chance Iron Survival Fatal 4-Way match for the women's side of the Iron Survival matchup. You will have Fallon Henley. Roxanne Perez, Kiana James, and Thea Hale in this fatal four-way match. Fallon would get the win by pinfall by executing a shiny wizard onto Thea to win the match. Now, the big thing to come out of this is that not only Fallon is now entered into the Iron Survivor women's portion of the match, but at deadlock, you will be getting a steel cage match between Kiana James and Roxanne Perez because those two were just going at it a lot with each other towards in this matchup, especially towards the end, because they'll be fighting like above the commentators uh, table. They'll be fighting on the barricade and they'll just be uh, duking it out with each other. Then they'll just both fall onto the commentary table and just make the commentary table just explode. And this will basically eliminate them out of the match. And that's how Fallon would get the win over Thea Hale. So we get a steel cage match for Deadlock. Well, not deadlock, deadline uh, with Kiana and Roxanne. And now Fallon has now been entered into the Women's Iron Survivor matchup. So you now you have Fallon, Blair Davenport, Lash Legend, Tiffany Stratton, and Kalani Jordan to round off this Women's Iron Survivors matchup here. Now, next up, we will have Wesley come down to the ring. Wes is on one black crutch. And Wes is out here to let everyone know that he will be taking some time off because he has to get surgery. He talks about how right now he's in an excruciating amount of pain. 
he can't um, barely stand up right now. He's standing up and he's still feeling like a lot of pain in his back. Well, in his legs because he has to get lower back surgery. So Wes is out here. He gives this emotional teary eye. Uh, explanation to the people, but lets them know that he will be back, but he just doesn't know when he will be. So this isn't goodbye. This is just I'll see you guys down the road. So you get this teary eye uh, explanation from Wes, and then Dominic Mysterio will come to the ring, and Dom he would be a prick. Dom would start mocking Wes for having a bad back, saying that. He, Dom also has a bad back because he's been carrying WWE on his back for the past two years, so he's making Wes piss. Dom would say since Wes is injured, he will have the night off because he was supposed to face Wes at deadline for the North American Championship, but that isn't the case. Wes would tell Dom that you need to hear it from your own father to figure out who's going to be your next opponent. So we would get Rey Mysterio on the Titan Tron, and Rey would tell Dom that he'll be facing Dragon Lee at deadline, and Rey will be in the corner of Dragon Lee. So when Rey says this, Dragon Lee will come down to the ring. You know the deal. Dra- uh, Dragon Lee and Dom, they would get into it. Dragon Lee would get the best of Dom, looking to hit him with a power bomb, but Dom would reverse out of it, slide out of the ring. There you go. So Dragon Lee will be facing Dominic Mysterio for the North American Championship. And I feel bad for Wes. They will say on commentary um, that Wes will be out for 8 to 12 months. So basically, 8 months to a year. So, again, uh, I feel bad for Wes. I hope that he can talk to someone like a Randy Orton. I hope Randy is like, talk to Wes during this time. Or he will be talking to Wes during this time. Because Randy was literally the latest person to have any type of back injury and be out for a long, significant amount of time. I mean, just think about it. Randy just came back legit last week with Survivor Series. So hopefully Randy hears about this. He uh, talks to Wes and gives him some motivation as Wes is going to basically be needing this. I did like how his uh, rascal brethren, uh, Zachary Wentz, did put out a tweet. Probably Trey Miguel did too, but I know Zachary because I saw his up there, so I'm glad that he did that, but I'm glad that uh, Rascal Brethren, uh, MSK uh, Brethren, is still there for Wes, and that's still good to see guys that you grew up on the independence with as uh, brothers still continue to support one another, because you see that from Wes with Zachary whenever he won the Impact uh, Tag Team titles over there, and uh, when Wes won back the North American Championship, I believe he won it the first time. Uh, Zachary, he wasn't in WWE, but he gave like kudos to Wes for that. But again, I'm running too long into this. Uh, just, I hope Wes uh, the best in his recovery. That's all I'm trying to say with this. Uh, next up, we would get Tatum Paxley going against Lola Vice with Electra Lopez in Lola's corner. Lola would win the match by pitfall by executing a spinning uh, head kick. So, Lola gets the win here. No more needs to be said about this, to be completely honest. Next up, six-person tag. You have Alpha Academies, Chad Gable, Otis, and Maxine Dupree with Akira out in their corner going against Metaphor. You will have representing Metaphor, Lash Legend, Oral Mensa, and the NXT Heritage Cup winner, Noam Dar. And in their corner, you will have Jakari Jackson, 
uh, Alpha Academy, they would win the match by submission when Chad would catch Noam Dar's uh, Nova Rolla and execute an ankle lock for the win. The big thing to take out of this match was Lash Legend getting Otis up for a full body slam and actually hitting him with it, and Maxine Dupree doing a couple of moves here. So, I would say the big takeaway was Lash Legend because nobody thought that Lash would be able to uh, suplex um, Otis, but she was able to do so, and that's just something that a lot of people didn't expect, but we got it. Um, next up, you would get the Women's Summit. You have all the women that's going to be in the Women's Iron Survival matchup, and they're basically here to talk crap to one another, and it ends up in a brawl. All the women start brawling, and we get the return of Nikita Lyons. Nikita Lyons is bad because Blair Davenport took her out, I believe, earlier this year. So Nikita, first person that she would go after is Blair Davenport. She would kick Blair in the head, and that's about it. So you can see that even if Blair doesn't win at uh, deadline, you know that Nikita Lyons is back now. She's back in ring competition, so she's going to be aiming for Blair once this whole Iron Survivor business is over with. Next up, we will have... Axiom going against Nita Frazier. This will end in a no contest because all the women from that previous segment for the Iron Survivor uh, Summit would come out and basically disrupt this and start battling with each other. You have backstage officials, referees come out to separate all the ladies, so that would basically eat up this match. Next up is technically the main event matchup. It's the men's last chance Iron Survivor qualifying match. You have Carmelo Hayes, Joe Coffey, Eddie Thorpe, Tyler Bate. Tyler Bate would win this match by pinfall by hitting the Tyler Driver 97 onto Joe Coffey. So, to round out the men's Iron Survivor matchup, you have Tyler Bate, Braun Breaker, Dijak, Trick Williams, and Josh Briggs. And just like the women, you had all the men come out here, talk trash, and they start getting to popping. They start battling and uh, brawling with each other, and that's how this segment will go off. But we will go backstage. Carmelo Hayes is unwrapping his uh, wrist, getting the wrist tape off. He's upset, and Ava Rain is right beside him. Ava Rain just happens to be now like the right-hand woman for Shawn Michaels since she's no longer with Joe Gacy. Carmelo Hayes would ask Ava Rain to get a match made for him so he could face, face Alexis King at deadline. And she would say, you can... Uh, make that match official. So we're getting Carmelo going against Alexis King at deadline. You'll get Trick Williams walk up on Carmelo Hayes and ask him, okay, dog, what's up? Because earlier in the night, you would see a video from NXT's anonymous like Twitter account, and it would have a old video of Carmelo Hayes talking to Trick Williams the night that Trick got attacked from behind. And they have timestamp like 840 or 850-something. You see Trick and Melo in a room talking to one another. Trick's happy. He leaves the room. You see Carmelo get off his table, pick up his phone, like start tapping into his phone, and then just start walking out of the room. So it looks like Carmelo probably did something to Trick, or at least set it up, because, again, Trick really got attacked later that night. So Trick has been hounding Carmelo from this night here, trying to figure out and get Carmelo to say, yo, dog, have you been working with Alexis King? What's going on? 
Carmelo wasn't trying to hear Trick before the Fatal 4-Way matchup. But now since it's over with, he tells him, listen, dog, I had nothing to do with it. You know I had nothing to do with it deep down in your heart. You know that. So I'm going to have my actions, my words match my actions. Trick will ask, what do you mean? Carmelo would tell Trick, listen, I got a match with Lexus King at deadline, and you'll see that I had nothing to do with you getting attacked. I would never team up with him. Trick would say, all right, I'm going to have your action match your words because you're going to open deadline, and I'm going to finish deadline. And you see Melo kind of have a face because Melo's known as being the main event, the marquee guy out of him and Trick, and Trick's starting to elevate into the spotlight, the spotlight that has always been reserved to Melo in this whole Melo Trick relationship. So you can kind of see there's going to be more problems down the line with Trick and Melo. And again, this will probably play into the whole Iron Survivors matchup at deadline. But I'll get more to that uh, towards the end of the show when I talk about my predictions. Now, to end NXT, we get a face-to-face confrontation with the NXT champion Ilya Dragunov and uh, Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin will try his best to have Ilya basically attack him uh, because Baron is talking to Ilya about how Ilya has deserted his family to be here, how the only thing that he has to show anything is the NXT Championship, while Baron, on the other hand, he's been with his family here in, in Orlando, in Florida, and he wants that NXT Championship not because he needs it, but because he basically wants it. He's been around WWE for eight plus years he's been on television he's been around during the whole COVID deal and it just feels that Baron just wants to have this as a accomplished knot so you see Baron trying to get underneath Ilya's skin Ilya is starting to really freak out a little bit and it's starting to work a little bit but Ilya does not take the bait instead Ilya goes over and just hugs Baron and he tells him the only way to have a dragon self-destruct is if the dragon does it himself. And then he will back off from Corbin and just start smiling and laughing in Corbin's face. And Corbin sees it and he just, he's perplexed at this. And that's the end of that. And we would get back to all the men from the Iron Survivor matchup start getting back out here and start brawling once again. They start doing it all over again. Uh, there's a corner, there's a table set up in the corner of the ring, and Braun, he was spear both Josh Briggs and Trick Williams right through it. Then you would see uh, Tyler Bate hit Jack with a rebound clothesline, and Tyler Bate will be the last man standing to end NXT as it goes into deadline. Now, with that, that was your NXT wrestling highlights of the week. Now we go over into AEW Dynamite. However, before I get to that, I have to talk about AEW Collision. On Collision, we had, I believe, three uh, tournament matches. I know we had Claudio Cascioli going against Brody King. Brody would win that. Uh, Brian Danielson, he went against Eddie Kingston, and he won that. Oh yeah, and uh, Andrade, he went against Dea Garcia, and Andrade won that uh, matchup. So overall, they're on the blue bracket of the Continental Classic. Brody King is now with six points. Claudio Cascioli still has three. Uh, Eddie Kingston has zero. Brian Danielson has three. 
Andrade has three, and Diego Garcia has zero as well. So that is your brackets for the uh, blue side of the Continental Classic, and that's the important parts of what happened on Collision, and I'm just going to move over into Dynamite. Uh, Dynamite, we will have the gold brackets for the Continental Classic. We will start off with John Moxley going against Roosh. John Moxley would win this match by submission by locking in a rear naked choke on Roosh, and Roosh would not submit. However, he would pass out, and once the referee did call for the belt when Roosh passed out, give Roosh about a good uh, two seconds, and he just like popped back up and tried to tell the ref that he didn't tap out, and this is the realism of when you get choked out and you pass out, because when you get choked out and you the first thing that you notice that when you pop back up, you got all your senses, you're trying to uh, tell people that you didn't lose or whatever, like the stuff that you see in MMA, they pulled it off here with Roosh, and I like that, and I like how commentary even elaborated for the people that don't watch MMA or don't know about being choked out, the effects of it, so I like that they did that, but Roosh and Moxley was your brawler going against brawler uh, matchup. I think everybody knew that going into this matchup. I didn't think they would fight into the crowd, but they did that. And they were real lenient with the uh, 10 count. Usually they'll start counting as you're outside the ring. But it seems with Moxley and Roosh, they didn't want to do that. Because as I said, they're brawlers and they just allow them the liberty to do this. So as I said earlier, Moxley still wins this. He is now nine points into the gold bracket of the Continental Classic. Now, the next thing that we would have, we would get a backstage segment with Renee Paquette. She was trying to get a promo, well, an interview with AEW World Champion MGF. She was outside of his locker room. We will see Hangman Page walk into the shot, and Hangman is talking to Renee about why he hasn't been around these last three weeks, and he talks about the effects of being in that Texas death match with Swerve, and he talks to Swerve. He tells Swerve that you beat me but it took Nana, Brian Cage, it took everybody that you had just to beat me, but I still concede that you beat me. However, I took something from you on that day in that match, and I know what you want, and as long as I'm around, you're not going to get what you want. And Swerve's big thing right now, even though he's in this Continental Classic, he wants to be the first ever AEW World Champion as a black man. So I see Hangman Page going to constantly be a thorn in Swerve's side to go and achieve that goal. So once Hangman says all of this, MGF, being the prick that he is, he will open up the door and he would start mouthing off with Hangman. At first, Hangman isn't uh, trying to deal with MGF and he would just walk away. MGF would say a little quick a uh, little jab at Hangman, but then now we get back to Hangman walking back into the shot, and now you get this little battle between Hangman and MGF, and it's basically tit for tat. You get uh, Hangman talking crap about MGF. MGF would throw another shot at Hangman, saying that his championship reign was short compared to his championship reign that has been a year long and still counting right now. Hangman will tell MGF, listen, I don't care about all that, just going to be completely honest with you, I think you're the devil, Max would say that, well, I think you're the devil, so you get both of these guys kind of pointing fingers at one another, saying, who's the devil here, and then you see Samoa Joe coming between the two, because it seems that Hangman and MJF is about to come to blow, 
Joe would tell Hangman, nope, I have him. He is my property. I have to keep him safe because Samoa Joe has a match with MJF at World's End. So that's what this whole thing's about. And then you see Samoa Joe turn to MJF and he starts getting at MJF say, we don't got time to be dealing with him right now. So you see MJF going away, walking away, and Samoa Joe will walk right behind MJF. And this would lead into problems later in the night. Now, next up, we would still be into the gold bracket of the Continental Classic. You will have Swerve Strickland going against Mark Briscoe. Swerve would win the match by pinfall, executing a Swerve Stomp after hitting a Death Valley driver on the ring apron to win the match. And now Swerve is up three more points, so he's 9-0. and So he's tied with Moxley on the leaderboard for the gold bracket of the Continental Classic. Mark Briscoe by mathematical like by mathematical like accounting or just by points he has been eliminated for uh the tournament so that means mark briscoe still will be competing in the tournament he'll just be able to play spoilers for anyone that's trying to gain any more points but there's no way mark briscoe is winning the tournament so that's the reason why they say that mark briscoe is technically out that way but swerve and mark briscoe they will have a good match with each other um but swerve wins the match i think we all kind of knew that was happening too uh after this we go backstage john moxley he's uh backstage it looks like he's about to say something but swerve walks up on moxley and you get a confrontation between the two as i said both men are nine and oh with the points system in this tournament and they have a match next week so this uh situation between the two was setting up for that matchup next week in the tournament for the Continental Classic. I think that's going to be a great match. I think we're going to get a little bit of violent taste between Moxley and Swerve, since they're both from the CZW uh, School of Hard Knocks, and also the characters. Swerve is a villain who's willing to do anything to win, while Moxley, even though he's part of the Blackpool Combat Club, Blackpool Combat Club, they are ruthless uh, guys, they'll bite you, they'll claw you, they'll punch you, they'll do everything they can to win. So again, I think we're just going to get a more violent, brutal match between the two next week, and I personally can't wait to see it, to be honest. Now, next up, we were supposed to have the tag team matchup, Samoa Joe and MGF going against the Devil Henchman, but that would not happen. Samoa Joe would get to the ring, and Samoa Joe uh, would be in the ring, the lights would flicker, and then they would go out. Now, once the lights pop back on, they're flickering again, and the ring will be surrounded by the masked uh, men. So you're seeing Samoa Joe being surrounded by the guys around the ring. The lights will flicker once again, and then when they pop back on, the men will be gone from the ring. And on the screen, you will see the devil. The devil would be there for a brief second, and then it will flash off, and then it will flash to a backstage uh, incident of MJF being laid out on the ground and you see a beer bottle like in shatter pieces around MJF. Samoa Joe, he will see this, he will get taped off and he'll just run directly to the back. Now you got people thinking that Hangman Page is the devil because you see a beer bottle uh, shatters right next to the body of MJF. Now, I did like how Taz, who's one of the biggest MJF guys on commentary, would say that this doesn't absolve MJF from being the devil because we didn't see MJF get attacked 
happy to see his body laid out on the ground. So you got this whole thing playing with one another with, again, with the whole conversation that we had earlier with MGF and Hangman Page and Hangman accusing MGF, MGF accusing Hangman Page, both men of being the devil. So now this adds on to, okay, who's really the devil? Now we got MGF, who's always been a suspect. Now we got a new entry into the plague list. We got Hangman Page now. So we got to wait and see. As I said before, I think we're going to get the unmasking and unveiling at World's End. And we're just going to keep on getting these little clues until World's End to see who's uh, the man underneath the devil mask. Now, next up, we will have the AEW World Championship being defended. Tony Storm with Luther and Mariah May in her corner defending her championship against the challenger Sky Blue. Tony would win her match by pinfall by reversing a roll-up into her own for the win. Solid match from Tony and Sky Blue. I did like how AEW is really leaning into the whole 1930-40 style of actress gimmick that Tony Storm has because they had the guy who's the host of Turner uh, Classic Movies doing a introduction for Tony Storm. As I said before, they're like really leaning into Tony being this whole late actressy type of gimmick here. And I also want to give a big shout out to AEW as well because there needs to be a clapping section for whenever Tony Storm uh, does something. Because when Tony Storm has like a movement in the ring, a specific movement, like whenever she's about to hit her running hip attack and she has to go into the corner and do like a silly like pose, the camera will be from regular appearance, then it'll put on like a film setting and it's like black and white old classic style for that moment until Tony hits a running hip attack and then it'll go right back to regular uh filming like setting and it'll just happen multiple times throughout the match whenever Tony's doing something. So I want to give praise to AEW for that and I think people need to do that more. We criticize AEW whenever their production is not right. And again, you got to praise it whenever they do something right. You got to demonize it when they do something wrong. So I don't see a lot of people praising AEW when they do something right with production. And I'm going to do that here. So again, I think that they need a lot of uh, claps on the back for constantly changing settings back and forth because that's a lot of time you got to do that and that's a lot of dedication that you're really pouring into this character for production side for Tony Storm so again uh clap it up for Tony Storm and AEW both like coming together for this gimmick and making it actually work um Sky Blue she had a good match with Tony here she's uh she's been improving a lot throughout this year especially towards the end of the year so hopefully Sky Blue will be in a more prominent spot going into AEW in 2024 or while they're in 2024 for AEW. That's what I'm hoping for Sky Blue because as I said, she's been really putting in the work these last few months when AEW's been passing her the ball. So I'm glad that she's been upgrading and uh, doing the best for herself. Now after the match, former AEW Women's Champion, Riho, she would come down to the ring. She would have a stare down with Tony Storm. Storm will go to attack Riho, but Riho would duck it. Tony would uh, be standing on the ring apron. Riho's about to attack her, but Tony would fall into the arms of Luther, and they would just walk directly to the back. 
So it seems that Riho is going to get a shot at Tony Storm's AEW Women's Championship somewhere down the line. Now, next up, gold bracket matchup, Jay White going against Jay Lethal. Just like Jay Lethal's uh, Ring of Honor brethren, Mark Briscoe, this is a do-or-die match for Jay Lethal because if he doesn't win, he's mathematically eliminated out of the tournament, and that's what will happen. Jay White would win the match by pinfall with a roll-up on Jay Lethal to mathematically eliminate Jay Lethal from the tournament. And now Jay White, he stands on six points, so he's kind of underneath Swerve and Moxley. So with this being the actual like breakdown for the tournament, both Jay Lethal and Mark Briscoe are playing spoilers for people in the gold bracket. I'm kind of shocked at that, to be honest. I thought they would at least given Jay and Mark at least a win by now to at least keep it somewhere competitive for them. But no, I think they're going to go with a surprise uh, win for more than likely Mark. I think Jay Lethal, he might go winless completely in this tournament. I think they're going to give something to Mark because Mark Briscoe is so beloved and also because of the tragedy that he had to endure this past year because of his brother passing. I think they're going to give him a win and I'm going to leave a big win. So we're just going to have to wait and see with that. But yeah, Jay White, he beats uh, Jay Lethal here. Now we go into our main event, the TNT Championship matchup. Christian Cage defending his championship against his former best friend, Adam Copeland. And Christian Cage, he retains his championship by pinfall due to outside interference from Nick Wayne's mother. Now the referee would be down because uh, Christian would look to hit Adam with a spear, but Adam will move out of the way, and by proxy, he would take the referee down with him a little bit, but the ref doesn't go down all the way. The ref is, like, on the second ropes looking at the crowd. He's trying to fix himself up, but Christian, he would kick the ref in the nuts. Now the referee would go down. Christian would go outside the ring, grab the TNT title, go inside, back into the ring, look to hit Adam with the TNT championship. Adam would duck it, and now you get both men running towards each other, looking to hit a spear on one another, and they would just collide with each other. Now, as both men are down, Nick Wayne's mother would come down to the ring, and our commentary, you already got the commentators asking, okay, who's she here for? Is she here for Adam, or is she here for Christian? And I already knew where this thing might be going, and I'm like, no, they're not. No, they're not. No, they're not going to do it. And they did it. She would grab the TNT Championship. She would wait for Christian to get on his knees and look at her. Adam, he's on his knees, but he's starting to get up. She would look like she's having a hard decision who she's going to hit with the title, but she ends up hitting Adam Copeland with the TNT Championship. And on commentary, they give reasoning for why she did it, because Adam Copeland was the guy who hit Nick Wayne with a concerto, even though Nick Wayne was the guy who was going to allow his mom to get hit with a concerto from Luchasaurus. So, again, we have that situation here, but a mother's love for her son will make parents do crazy things. So that's the reason why they are giving Nick Wayne's mom this excuse for why she uh, allowed Christian to technically win the TNT Championship and gave him help. So once Nick Wayne's mom hits Adam with the TNT Championship and she leaves the ring, Christian would get up and put Adam's head under the TNT championship 
and put his foot on Adam's neck and just stomp on it. So he would throw the TNT title out of the ring, cover Adam. The referee would count the pinfall. One, two, three. Christian Cage is still your TNT championship. And that's it. So Christian, he retains the championship by uh, interference. Solid match between both best friends here. I mean, there were moments in this match where you had the people really, really, like, really enthralled in this because, again, you're in Canada, you're in Montreal. Is two former best friends that everybody knows their history. They're going after each other. And the story of this match, technically, when they went after each other, was going after each other's necks because both of them have neck issues. So you would see both of them just kind of like trade off offenses of going at the neck. And I like that because, again, your best friend knows your weaknesses. And Adam and Christian, they know each other's. So you have that story. And then towards the end, you got nasty work. <laughs> again, it was it was something that I didn't that I didn't want to technically happen, but they got to bring it in just to get the whole Christian patriarchy whole uh, piece of resistance on it. So, hey, that's what we're getting next week on Dynamite. We'll probably get an explanation out of Nick Wayne's mom, and we'll probably even get Nick Wayne standing next to the mother, next to Christian, and probably get Luchasaurus standing there as well. But again, that's next week. Right now, Christian Cage standing tall over Adam Copeland to end AEW Dynamite, and that's your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, next up, we move over to SmackDown. This week's episode of SmackDown is their Tribute to the Troops uh, edition. For people that are unaware of what Tribute to the Troops um, is, it's their WWE show where they have servicemen and women specifically in the audience, and they pay homage, they recognize them because of what they do for the country. So that's what this show is about. Um, so we will start off with the United States number one contenders tournament matchup. We will have Santos Escobar going against Dragon Lee. Dominic Mysterio will be around ringside for this matchup because he is watching Dragon Lee because that's the man that he has to face at NXT deadline the next day, Saturday, when you are listening to this show. Um, Santos would win the match by pinfall by executing the Phantom Driver on Dragon Lee. After the match, Dominic would come in the ring. He will stand over Dragon Lee's body with the North American Championship and even spit out his gum on Dragon Lee. And again, the spitting thing, I'm never ever okay with. I I don't like it. It's just the whole spitting aspect. Again, we just got done with COVID technically. Like, there's still COVID around, but I mean like the heavy dose, like the first magic COVID and all that mess, where people had to wash their hands and all the hand sanitizer stuff. And all that type of stuff, keep the bodily fluids to yourself, like that type of business. We just got done with that. Why are we spitting on people, especially with the gum? I don't like it, but eh, it's wrestling. I get it. But that's just one trope I'm, I can never ever deal with. Um, Dominic would do that. He will leave the ring. So again, this is setting up their match for deadline for the North American Championship. There you have it. Next up, we have Cody Rhodes coming down to the ring. Cody would show his admiration to the servicemen and women in the audience. He would talk about how it is an honor for WWE put on this type of show for their countrymen. He would show a video package that showcases the history of tribute to the troops. And then once that video package will be over, he would introduce the U.S. Army drill team. So, as I said, this is continuing on with the tribute to the troops uh, edition, what this means and how much this means to WWE. So, there you go with that. 
Um, next up, we have another United States number one contenders tournament matchup. We have Bobby Lashley going against Karrion Cross. Bobby would win this match by pinfall by executing a spear onto Karrion to win the match. So Bobby will be facing Santos Escobar later in the tournament, not on this episode, but somewhere down the line. Next week, it was announced that Grayson Waller will be facing a NXT wrestler to be named. So we'll probably get that either on NXT Deadline or we will get it on next week's episode of NXT. And also, we'll have Kevin Owens going against Austin Theory next week on SmackDown as well. Now, after this, we would get CM Punk coming to the ring. And CM Punk will let everyone know we're at the top of the hour for 9 o'clock. That means you will not be getting a short CM Punk talk. You will be getting a CM Punk that's out here to talk to the people. And he allows the people to chant. And this is not like CM Punk's promo that we had on that Monday Night Raw where he just basically talked for a little bit and just to say that he was home. This promo, he said that he was home, but he started getting into business and starts really talking about certain individuals. Roman Reigns, Tribal Chief, I acknowledge you. Congratulations on all your success. Don't forget who the OG Paul Heyman guy is. Don't forget that he was my wise man first. Now, Roman might not be here, but his cousins are. Solo, big tough son of a gun that I don't know, but I'm familiar with his cousin, Jimmy Uso. By the way, shout out to main event Jey Uso, who's over on Monday Night Raw. I see you, Uso. Someone said Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens. That'd be interesting, right? Can I tag with Kevin Owens? Maybe I can fight Kevin Owens. Let's pump the brakes on that one just for a second. Kevin's a little bit prickly, and I mean to say is that him and I are probably too much alike. And I don't know who would feel comfortable working with somebody who randomly just punches people in the face backstage. I mean, it's 2023, ladies and gentlemen. You just can't be doing stuff like that. That's insane. Everybody's welcome me back with open arms, except for that one guy. There's always that one bad apple that spoils a bunch, am I right? But I'm not going to put any stock in anything he has to say, and it's not because of his whiny voice. It's because he's not even the man in his own household. It's about all he's got is that song. All the men that I have mentioned today have one glaring, painful thing in common, and that's CM Punk is back, and I am the monkey wrench in their future plans and their future goals. Everybody wanting to talk about finishing their story. I'm back to finish what I started. And Monday night, I put pen to paper and begin my journey of finishing my story. And that means one thing, main eventing WrestleMania. So as you can tell in this promo, it was quite different than the Raw promo. As I mentioned, the Raw promo a week before, it was nothing but him saying, I'm back. And that's about it. This week, completely different we did not get pg punk at least we got a little bit of a spicier version than punk than what we did get originally and everybody was happy for that even punk mentioned that before he got into getting at people and the thing here is that one i'm happy that he did kind of throw a little jab at 
AEW with the whole fighting in the back, punching people in the face. Like, come on, there's no way you're not going to mention AEW or mention your antics in the back because, come on now, that's kind of your whole deal now. That's kind of Punk's whole situation. Everybody knows it. Everybody that's at least in the know and the wrestlers that mention it on their talks, like Seth Rollins or even uh, Kevin Owens or even other wrestlers, they mention how Punk was... Uh, a little bit of a guy that could have a little bit of a problem here and there, but they're still willing to keep it professional. Punk, he has to say something. He has to do it because that's who Punk is. So I'm glad Punk did mention that. We're talking about punching people in the face backstage. I did like that. Um, I did like how we're going into the whole Punk might go after Roman or might go after Seth because we're opening that door there because Punk has the whole history with uh, Paul Heyman. And he called himself the original OG Paul Heyman guy. And that could throw a monkey wrench by saying, well, you're not the original Paul Heyman guy. We could throw Brock back in there. WWE wants to have Brock back in. And Brock could say, Punk, you're not the original guy. I am. And then that could set up for a three-way. Brock, Roman, and Punk for Paul Heyman. That would be crazy, but I don't put that out of the possibility for WWE because I don't think anybody would be completely not okay with seeing that match. And also, you got the affirmation, as I said before, Seth Rollins' feud. You mentioned right there. He just said, yo, I'm not going to mention him because he's not even the man in his own household, his own relationship. So there you go right there. He's already throwing some shots at Seth, as Seth has already been throwing shots at Punk. So we have that there, and Punk saying that he needs to finish his story. So with him saying that, he's already opened up the gate for him and Cody to have a little issue because Cody needs to finish his story and go after Roman for the WWE title. So, I mean, you got a lot of different stories here with Punk, and that's a great thing for Punk to be back here with WWE and just be back at wrestling in general. Because I think if Punk would have went over to Impact, he could have found a story with anybody and that would encapsulate people. Just Punk being back in wrestling just feels great. But here in WWE, where hell it has frozen over, because I don't think anybody expected Punk to technically be back in WWE, which we got to thank AEW for that. Because without AEW opening up the door for Punk or even existing, Punk would, I don't think he would have went back to WWE. Or at least he would have waited farther along than he is right now to be back in the world of WWE, to be completely honest with you. So again, thank you AEW for opening the door back for CM Punk to do professional wrestling. But with Punk being back in WWE now, there's so much stories that he can just touch on and do what he got to do so i'm happy to see punk back here and i'm happy to see not pg punk here i'm happy that we at least got pg 13 the guy that was willing to throw shots and just start poking the bear a little bit hopefully we would get that more down the line continuing on and also we would kind of get that more because after punk would get done saying his promo he would go backstage and you would see him try to go up to nick aldis office well he would look for nick aldis office but he would see the bloodlines office he was about to tap on their door, but then he's like, mm, nah, I'll walk away. And as he's walking away, he would see Kevin Owens. So you get this moment between Kevin Owens and you see Punk. And Punk asks Kevin, do you know where Nick Aldis' office is? And KO would just look at Punk and tell him, no, nah, I don't know where he is. And just walk away. Kevin Owens knows where Nick Aldis' office is, but he just didn't want to help Punk out. So again, you have a story right there with those two going on. Especially with Kevin Owens being the Young Bucks' like friend. Again, we're not going to touch the whole saying you're the Bucks friend in WWE, but he can say, well, I had problems with your friends somewhere else, but 
and again, they can do it in such a clever way. In Punk and Kevin Owens, they can find ways to be clever with it, so I don't put that past them. So again, that opens the door for that. So we get Nick Aldis uh, and Punk later down the line. Punk goes into Aldis' office. Aldis would offer Punk a contract, tell him to look it over. Aldis would leave. Cody would walk in. Cody would tell Punk, is glad to see you again, my friend. And he even mentions, you said that you got to finish your story. So that means you have to enter the Royal Rumble. And Punk would kind of nod and say, like, yeah. So you kind of already see we got our entrance one and two for Royal Rumble, Cody and Punk already being announced. So we got that going along. And then later down the line, we would see Punk walk up on Randy Orton in L.A. night. You see Orton and Knight just look at Punk. Punk would tell them, good luck tonight. And he would just walk away. So Punk just has a lot of different stories that he could just easily be thrown into. And again, I'm happy Punk's back in wrestling. I'm happy Punk's back in WWE. And I just want everything to uh, turn out right. Now, after this, we have Charlotte going against Asuka. And Asuka would win the match by pinfall thanks to interference from Bailey. When Bailey would get on the ring apron and Charlotte would attack Bailey, Asuka would take this opportunity to roll up Charlotte to win the match. So there you have it. Now, we would get the kind of same setup that we had last week with the Bailey situation. Bailey wasn't supposed to be out here, she was supposed to be in the back. Uh, damage control was out here with Asuka at first, but you would see Shotzi, you see Bianca come out here, and that's it. Damage control, Bianca and Shotzi out to the back. Bailey, she would do what she did like she did last week, come out and help out Asuka here, and that's how Asuka got the win. And unlike last week, when EO didn't get the win, Asuka did, so maybe this sets Bailey back in good favor with damage control. We will have to see next week because you're starting to see the vibe of a real just shift. All four ladies, Io, Asuka, Kyrie, and Dakota just really shifting themselves away from Bailey. And Bailey, she sees it too. So she's trying to stay in the good graces of those four ladies. And again, we'll have to wait and see next week to see if she is in their good graces. Now, ultimate event, tag team matchup, Randy Orton and LA Knight going against Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa. Randy Orton and LA Knight would win the match by pinfall when LA Knight would DDT Sosakoa, and this would basically eliminate Sosakoa out of the match. LA Knight would go to hit Jimmy Uso with the BFT, but Randy would pull uh, Jimmy over and hit the RKO for the win. So we have that. This whole matchup was uh, LA Knight kind of looking at Randy a little bit because, again, Randy's a snake. He's a viper. You don't really trust Randy like that because you could ultimately get RKO'd off top. So he ends up Having no other choice but to trust Randy because he tags him in. Randy does his business. This is a typical Randy situation. I think they're trying to stay and keep Randy um, safe because Randy was out literally for a year and a half. So with him being back here, I think they're trying to keep him safe, trying to not risk him doing anything stupid until it's time for him to actually do some real dirty business. So with that, Randy getting in here, hitting his... Uh, power slam, doing his hangman DDT, doing his RKO, doing the Randy Orton tricks and everything else. I think, as I said, they're trying to keep him real tame and real safe until it's time for him to really get into some hard-fought matches. So with him getting the win and him pulling the win for his team, you can see something probably coming down the line with himself and Knight or just Randy just happy to be back. One or the two, it don't matter. Randy's back. That's great. Hopefully he has a nice solid run before he gets that 
farewell uh, tour. And I see the farewell tour happening with, well, probably within another five months. Because that RKO, he has to constantly do that. He lands on his back. Unless he changed to a different finish, I see him probably just being around with WWE for another five years. And he's probably going off to retirement, if I'm going to be completely honest. So everyone, please uh, cherish the time that we see Randy Orton on our television screens. Because uh, within the next five years, I'm predicting he'll probably be retiring. Now, with that being said, that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over to AEW Rampage. We will open up with the International Championship matchup between Orange Cassidy and Angelico. Orange Cassidy in his corner would have Danhausen, while Angelico will have Serpentico in his corner. Orange Cassidy would retain his championship by pinfall by hitting Angelico with an orange punch to win the match. Next matchup, we had Abaddon going against Trisha Dora. Abaddon would win the match by pinfall by hitting her version of the Rose Plant on Ab- on uh, Trisha Dora to win the match. And then after the match, you will see Julia Hart pop into the ring. And this is like their second time of doing this with Julia Hart and Abaddon. Abaddon uh, had a beef with some woman on collision last week. After the match, the lights popped off, popped back on. Julia was in the ring and she just stared at Abaddon. And I think that's what we're leading to. Abaddon and Julia Hart for the TBS Championship. A, this gives Abaddon more time on TV, so that's great for Abaddon. She's been off television for God knows how long, but she's getting time on TV. And B, this gives Julia Hart more uh, opponents under her belt as TBS champion. And having Julia Hart being on TV and Julia Hart being literally one of the most over members of the House of Black, because if you do a ranking over the people that's over, like the people who actually cheer for I think you can go by Julia Hart being number one, Brody King probably being number two, Malachi being number three, Buddy being number four. I think that's how people would rank it, to be completely honest, because you see the fan reaction and how everything goes for each member. Julia's like the top, so with Julia getting more uh, people under her win belt for the TBS Championship, I think it just adds more greatness to the TBS Championship. It also gives Julia more time in the ring, so that's good as well. So, Abaddon and Julia Hart, best believe we're getting that match somewhere down the line. Next matchup was a tag team matchup of the Don Callis family, which is represented by Powerhouse Hobbs and Kanosuke Takeshita, going against Christopher Daniels and Matt Seidel. Powerhouse Hobbs and Kanosuke Takeshita would win the match by pinfall, when Powerhouse Hobbs would hit the world's most dangerous slam, or better known as the world's strongest slam, on Christopher Daniels to win the match for his team. Now, we will go over into our main event, it's a part of the Blue League, or better known as the Blue Bracket for the Constantinople Classic. We will have Brian Danielson going against Daniel Garcia. Brian Danielson would win the match by submission by making Daniel Garcia tap out to the LaBelle Lock. So Brian Danielson will go with three more points in the Blue Bracket for the Constantinople Classic. So right now in the Blue Bracket, you have Brody King with six, Brian Danielson with six, Claudio with three, Andrade with three. Uh, both Eddie Kingston and Daniel Garcia are sitting here with donuts, and Daniel Garcia has been basically eliminated from the Continental Classic because he already lost to Andrade, he's lost to Claudio, and now he's lost to Brian Danielson. So his thoughts of even winning this thing has kind of been eliminated, so now he could just play spoiler to anybody in the Continental Classic here. Now, the funny thing with this match with Brian Danielson and Diego Garcia was that 
Diego Garcia, he didn't came out in his usual tights that he wore when he was in the Jericho Appreciation Society. No, he came out in his trunks when he was independent, Red Death, when he came in as a pro wrestler in AEW. So he went back to this when he went in this match with Brian Danielson, so it was pro wrestler going against pro wrestler. And Dave Garcia, again, he put up a great match as he has been doing these past couple matches, but he just couldn't get the job done because he did the dancing. And again, Matt Menard, he was on commentary, and he was cheering on Dave Garcia. He would say, oh my God, continue going. Don't dance. And then as soon as Dave Garcia danced, that's when he lost. So that's the story for Dave Garcia. For him to be taken serious, for him to win matches, it seems he got to stop doing the dancing and just be a strict professional wrestler. So... That's the thing with Daniel Garcia. I like what they're doing with him with the Continental Classic, him just being an underdog. And again, he will pick up a win, but he's going to get it in a shocking fashion against someone. I don't know who yet, but he will. But that's that. But that was your uh, AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And before I get into deadline, my predictions, who's going to win what matches, I do want to make one thing. Uh, certain. If you have not seen CM Punk matches, go on to WWE's YouTube page because they are uploading classic CM Punk matches like a mother. Like they are doing it like it's going out of style. They they can't be but so much happy that CM Punk is back with WWE. I mean, dude, I have never seen this much uploading of one particular person. So much so in my time of just seeing a pro wrestling program. I mean, WWE is so happy to have Punk back on board. Like, they avoided saying Punk's name like the plague for the last, what, almost 10 years? So with Punk being back and you seeing all of Punk's classic matches on the WWE YouTube channel, that is just incredible. And that just to see the views that is raking in, that tells you that people can't wait to see Punk get back in the ring, that they are watching classic Punk matches, and again, if you're not up on CM Punk and you missed CM Punk when he was in WWE, his first run, and you missed some great matches of his, trust me, they have it up there on their YouTube page. I just wanted to highlight that there because, again, that's something I never thought we would see Punk back in WWE, and especially them just like uploading a lot of his classic matches, but they're doing so on their uh, YouTube channel. So again, go check that out. Not an ad, it's just me being a fan. That's all it is. Now, going over into my NXT deadline predictions, um, first one I want to get off is Carmelo Hayes going against Lexus King because I feel they're starting to open the match. Well, they're starting the show off with that because Trick did tell Melo that you're going to be starting the show and I'm going to be ending it. Uh, I feel that Melo's going to beat Lexus King. I think Lexus King will grow with his loss to Carmelo Hayes, but Carmelo's going to win the match. That's just my personal opinion. I think he should. There you go. Steel Cage match, Roxanne Perez, Keanu James. I think Roxanne is going to be called up sometime soon, to be completely honest. I think she might make her main roster debut at the Royal Rumble. That'll be her first taste. She'll be walking up on the main roster there a little bit. She'll have a farewell match, probably at NXT, stand and deliver, but she'll make her official, like, all term on the main roster. But I think she's going to be drifting in and out after the Royal Rumble. But... Roxanne Perez is going to lose to Kiana James. That's my prediction for that because Roxanne doesn't need the win. Kiana does. That's my that's my feeling on that. So Kiana James to win the steel cage match against Roxanne. 
NXT North American Championship. We have Dirty Dominic Mysterio going against Dragon Lee. Both Dominic and Dragon Lee are on the main roster. You have Dominic, who's on the Monday Night Raw side. You have Dominic, uh, Dragon Lee, who's on the SmackDown side. Um, I think we need to keep it on Dominic because Dominic is a guy that people want to see on their show just so they can boo him and hate him. They like seeing him on the show because they can boo him and hate him, and, but they are loving seeing the progress that he has been making since he came into WWE during the pandemic in the Thunderdome era of 2020 to now 2023, they have seen him grow up in front of our eyes as a legit wrestler, and he's been getting better and better, and you saw it this year with his inclusion of him doing the whole mommy stuff with Rhea Ripley and him going against his father, Ray, at WrestleMania and them doing their business there and him doing other things from that time forward. Dominic has really grown into his own performer, into his own wrestler, into his own character. And again, Dragon Lee, he just started on the main roster. I think him beating Dominic for the North American title, I don't think it would do much, to be completely honest. So Dominic retaining the title, I think that's the best option that we go with here. So I'm going with Dominic. Ilya Dragunov going against Baron Corbin for the NXT Championship. I say Ilya, because Ilya just got it from Carmelo Hayes, what, at No Mercy, and that happened, what, September? We're going into, right now, we're in December, so that's, what, three months ago? If we take it off of Ilya, put it on Baron Corbin, I don't think it'll do much for Baron. I mean, yeah, sure, he gets to accomplish the goal that he didn't do on his first go-around in NXT, but what does it really accomplish for Baron? I think nothing. So I say Ilya winning, but I think we're going to have one hell of a, a brawl between Ilya and Baron in this matchup between the two. Now, the Women's Iron Survivor Challenge, you have Tiffany Stratton, Last Legend, Blair Davenport, Kalani Jordan, and Fallon. And this is to determine who's the number one contender for the NXT Women's Championship, who's held right now by Lyra Valkyria. So with Lyra being the champion, I'm saying uh, we give it to Blair Davenport, not Tiffany Stratton, because we already saw Tiffany going against Lyra earlier this year. I mean, we already got a different version of Lyra now because she's a champion, but I think they're probably saving Tiffany going against Lyra probably a stand and deliver another big attraction for them. Um, but I say we give it to Blair Davenport. Kalani Jordan, she just joined the I'm not gonna say just joined the roster, but just started getting airtime like on TV time like that. So I think we're not gonna get do that with her yet. Uh Fallon, she's an underdog, so if Fallon wins, I'll be shocked by that. Lash, I don't see it. I don't see it completely, completely honest with you. I like Lash. I like what they're doing with her and Metaphor, especially her just getting the body slam on Otis this past week. But again, I'm not certain if they're going to give that over to Lash, but we'll have to wait and see about that. Blair Davenport just makes the better choice to me because she's, I think, in this whole matchup, she's literally the most trained out of everybody. And she hasn't got that much... Time, time like that, but I think with her and Lyra having a match and her getting this opportunity to get this match with Lyra for the NXT Women's Championship, I think that would be a top-notch match. So I'm going with Blair Davenport. For the men in the main event, for the Iron Survivors Challenge, you have Dijak, Trick Williams, Josh Briggs, Braun Breaker, Tyler Bate. Uh, the champion, I say, is still going to be Ilya. So with that being said, Dijak here, he went against Ilya this year. That's not happening again. Uh, Trick Williams, I think they're saving something for Trick with that, but I won't put it past them to put it on Trick, so I'll save that right there. 
Josh Briggs, he's just like Fallon. He's one of the underdogs in this matchup here. Do I see them going with Josh yet? No, because he's still teaming with Brooks uh, Jensen. So, eh, we'll have to wait and see if they do give it to Josh Briggs. Uh, Braun Breaker, Braun, he was the NFC champion this year. He lost it to Melo. He's been on being a badass. Do I think that they're going to have Braun win this? Mm, no. I don't think so. I think he's going to put up a dominant effort in this and a dominant showcase, to be completely honest. But he's another one of those guys I think is going to be called up to the main roster in 2024. So I don't think Braun's going to be here. Tyler Bate, uh, they can give it to him. Because Tyler Bate versus Ilya, again, that's another one of those matches. Both people from the NXT UK brand, uh, English, European wrestlers, Tyler Bate really being the guy that's undersized in this matchup, but him and Dijak and Josh Briggs have the independent background stuff, but Tyler Bate being the only guy in this matchup to have won a championship first before every single one of them here in WWE, that puts Tyler Bate on another level. So for me right now, I'm thinking probably Trick, Tyler Bate, and maybe even Josh. But if I had to put a dollar down for a winner here, I'm going with Tyler Bate. I go with Tyler Bate for this. Now, with that being said, that was my predictions for NXT Deadline. You will get a review of this show tomorrow, the Sunday episode. So you'll get that on Sunday, as well as my traditional Sunday episode that I drop every Sunday, which I talk about stuff in the news that happened this past week. So you get a double dose of episodes tomorrow on Sunday. So now with that being said, this has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week. I have been G2. I love you guys. Please stay safe. Hope you guys stay warm. If you're in the Northeast right now, please try to stay as warm as you can because I know you're supposed to be getting some snow and rain sometime soon. So please stay warm as best as you can. Everybody else, I'm not sure how your temperatures are, but if you're in some cold parts, try to stay warm as best you can. Now, with that all being said, this has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by G2. He's I and I am him. I love you guys. Please be safe. You'll hear from me later. God bless.